Tomorrow is International Women's Day, and it's a strange quirk of fate that I'm about to feature this on the first edition of Sunday Supplement, since it was the lead topic on the first in my long-running series roundabout five years ago this weekend. And this year's theme for International Women's Day, or IWD, is Choose to Challenge, with several strands which you can find out about on the IWD website. A challenged world, it says, is an alert world, and from challenge comes change, so let's all choose to challenge. How will you help forge a gender-equal world? Raise awareness against bias, take action for equality, and celebrate women's achievement, which is exactly what Linda Ness and Susie Thorpe do here on Cambridge 105 Radio, both of whom join me on the line now. Hello, Tony. Hello, Tony. Nice to be here. Now, you've got a rather good programme title, Women Making Waves. Who actually thought that up? (laughs) (laughs) It would be my husband, actually. I was sitting at the kitchen table and Susie and I were bouncing ideas back and forth over, I don't know, some kind of instant messaging platform. And we were coming up, oh, what about this one? What about that one? And it was my husband was fed up listening to me. And he said, what about women making waves? That gives you a kind of play in the word. Because we were we were doing things with waves and things like that and thinking, you know, and he said, what about women making waves? That sounds good to me. We were very close to it, but he was the one that nailed it, Tony. It's very interesting, actually, because I think it was the some of the men in our lives that really came up with the idea, which is quite funny, because it was my brother-in-law, AJ, when I was, because I was in on holiday, and I was referring back to Linda, and I was saying, what do you think about this one? What do you think? Yes, that's a great idea. And then AJ, my brother-in-law, said, well, what do you think? And we thought, oh, that could be good. And then Chris, Linda's husband, just got in there and just hit the spot yeah they, they both came up with the two best ideas i think <laughs> which is slightly <laughs> annoying but you know that we'll we'll, we'll that we're happy with that <laughs> and what do you think about all these um those, those aims that i read out that are on the uh, international women's day website you know things like how will you help forge a gender equal world is that ever going to happen i would hope so I like to think so. I think it's getting, obviously, it's getting far better than it was. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's probably not 100% equal at the moment. You know, there's still, um, still in the news, you'll hear that women are still earning less than men. And that's quite annoying. But I think we are getting there bit by bit. We have this big thing because we give birth to children and we take time off. And I think that is a huge stumbling block. It's not a stumbling block. It's a good thing. But it's, it, it also in careers, it's a stumbling block, I think. And I'd like to get to the point where when we ask these questions, and you're right, Tony, to ask that question, gender equal world, absolutely. But I heard somebody on a webinar yesterday who said, I want to get to the stage. We don't even have to ask that question anymore. It could be a way off moment, but it would be nice that we get there and we we just dismiss that question altogether. But it is a, a very, very important question now, Tony. Of course, when I talk to people in the university, it's relatively recent that women uh, actually were allowed into all the colleges or, or most of the colleges. I think there's still some exceptions. And you've got actually, we've, we've got half a dozen um, people that you've talked to over the years. Uh, one of them is um, black and female, and she's a master, master, not mistress, of a mm-hmm. uh, Cambridge College. So we'll hear her a little bit later. Uh, you've chosen these five. Claudia McKenzie is the first one on the list. Claudia is great generally. She is a well-known local musician. 
She looks amazing. She's got these long, really colourful dreadlocks. She's just amazing. Really, really stands out, actually, in the crowd. She's really vivacious and a brilliant musician. When the Black Lives Matter issue kicked off, she went on a bit of a rant on Facebook. And, and I'm friends with her on Facebook. And, she, you know, that rant is exactly what she referred to it as as well. So I'm not being rude about her. She talked about Black Lives Matter and how it impacted her. I thought it was really, really interesting. And I tentatively, you know, spoke to her and said, look, we'd like to speak to you anyway about being a musician and a band and a woman and, and a bass player and all the rest of it. We want, we had you on our list anyway, but talking about this is, is, would be really, really interesting. Are you up for it? And she went, absolutely. And I think what ensued, Susie, was a really interesting conversation. Don't you agree? It did. Absolutely. And I think what really got me was I think she was she was a little bit sort of worried about actually talking about it on air. Apart from it being on Facebook, we were now going to broadcast it on Women Making Way. So that took a lot of courage. And even during the interview, I felt as if I was going to burst into tears because she nearly burst into tears. So it was really hard for her to hold together. But she did. And what a brave lady and love the way she wants to go solo and really push things in her own way. And so I, I think it was a very inspirational moment for both of us. Yeah, I think she was pleased she did it, actually. I think it was always kind of sneaking up on me. I mean, the thing when I've been playing bass with band, it's basically they tell you, you know, here's a song, this is what you learn, this is a gig, turn up here. And what the solo stuff does is it gives me 100% control over what I want to do. And I can write songs about things that are really stupid. I can go through lots of different genres if I want to. And nobody, nobody can tell me not to. And I quite liked, after having so much time, of being told what to do, but I was kind of enjoyed being able to, you know, I just turn up and do whatever. But yeah, I kind of enjoyed having that control over things. There was, it was a post that you made that really jumped out at me because for, for the benefit of our listeners, just for those that don't know you, you're a black woman. And the post you made seemed to be a real mixture of, I don't know, anger and exasperation and exhaustion, actually. You were talking about Black Lives Matter and you were railing against your Facebook friends, you know, the people that didn't get it. And it caught my eye because you don't normally make posts like that. <laughs> normally, you know, it's all fun. And, and, and But you were clearly really, really affected by that. Do you want to talk about that, Claudia? Yeah, that was a pretty epic meltdown I had. <laughs> a pretty epic public meltdown, which for anyone that knows me, knows that was a completely, almost like a very out of character thing for me to do and say. And I was actually quite surprised at how much of an impact I made, because that is not something that I would normally do. There's another side that, that actually quite hurts that people don't see. So you've got the blatant racism. Yep, you, that's very easy to see. You know, no one's disputing that. But there's the other side where people think they've been really kind and friendly, you know, in their way. And they're like, you know what, you're just like the rest of us. You know, come on, you know, it's, you know you're just the same. And it completely erases my experiences. Claudia McKenzie there. You talk obviously to women of 
all ages. Do you find a difference in attitude between the younger and the older woman? Hmm, that's a good question. Do we find, I think, yes and no. Yes, because I think they're a lot more confident now than they were when I was that age. And no, because I think they still want to learn from an older generation. They want to be accepted a lot more. So there's there's a give and take in that answer, I think. I, I, I find that a lot of women are asked if they are confident enough and like yeah they are they definitely are confident i think we we try and interview women that are really pushing it really moving and grooving and but they still look up to women who they see as inspiration so yeah there's a bit of yes and there's a bit of no in that one really yeah i, th- I think the younger women tend to be very energetic i like their energy and i like their optimism and the older women, of course, are energetic and optimi- optimistic as well. I'm not saying they're not. But they've got a history. They've often come from places, like we were talking about, where things were a lot different. And they've seen all of the changes taking place. So they're very interesting to talk to because they've got that history and that sense of change. And some of them surprise me because they say, you know what? It didn't matter that I was a woman. I, I just sailed through it, didn't really notice any difference whatsoever. While others have that the opposing view of I really had to fight to get to where I've got to. This is an interesting, interesting thing. But yeah, I like speaking to young, young women as well. I love the energy and the optimism. Well, the next extract you've chosen over the past year from Women Making Ways is a lady called Jen Foreman. Tell me about her. Oh, Jen was great. You know, sometimes people come to us and we get, you know, recommended um, to speak to certain women, you know, and, and, and often. But this one, I just I found her. I stumbled across her somewhere and I saw that this youngish woman in her 20s had set up her own business and the story behind it when I started looking into it so oh, she might be an interesting person to talk to so I started investigating and on her website she tells the story of she, she had anxiety severe anxiety she had to drop out of university sadly she'd had an anxiety when she was at school as well but and she'd she'd been very bright she'd got into university just couldn't cope And she'd had to come home and she had a couple of weeks of a terrible time of not knowing what to do, where she was going. But she'd been very artistic and that was a saving offer. And suddenly she thought, wait a minute, I maybe can do this. And she'd started putting art onto shoes and she sold her first pair. She bought she bought them for about, I don't know, 11 or 12 quid and sold them for considerably more, about 50 or something. And, and as she said in the interview, well, that worked. <laughs> and now she runs this business doing that. She, she buys um, certain types of shoes, Converse shoes and, and other similar types of shoes, and she decorates them. She was, I thought, really inspirational, particularly having come from that background of uncertainty and being insecure and now she's doing she was doing the interview with me and she said you know there would have been a time I couldn't have done this you know someone who is really shy but you know finds it really hard to do something and doesn't literally follow the college student university path what an amazing story so it was a fantastic to hear Jen it really was as you're growing up I guess the school system almost puts pressure on you as when you're a high achiever it's like the path you're meant to follow is to do well in your exams, to go to university, get a degree and then end up 
with a good job at the end of it and you're sort of meant to be set for life. So you're almost kind of pushed down that path whether you want to take it or not. And at such a young age, you don't actually know what you want to do or where you want to go. So you're almost like blindly following it. I think that's what happened to me. They're quite expensive. So to actually <laughs> experiment with, if you go wrong, that's quite an expensive mistake really, isn't it? It is. It is. There was a lot of fear around that. The first pair took me a week to do because I was just so scared I was going to get a bit wrong. I did like 45 minutes a day and then just left them because I was literally just sat there going, if I do any more, I'm going to mess up. Just leave it alone. Come back to it tomorrow. The first pairs were actually sold on eBay. So I started off, I was buying in secondhand pairs from eBay, which I thought looked in decent enough condition shoved them through the washing machine so they were clean, painted designs on them and relisted them. Obviously that was leading up to Christmas. So the first pair that I actually sold, I think I'd bought in for probably around 12 to 15 pounds. I'd put, what's the design? I think it was a Mr. Men design I'd painted on them, relisted it and they sold for over 50 pounds, which is <gasps> wow, more than what a brand brilliant. new pair was going for. <laughs> so I was just out there thinking, well, this works. The celebrity that approached me um, is called Christian Nairn, who plays Hodor in Game of Thrones. So he came to me through my Facebook page and got in contact saying, I'm looking for something a bit different, a bit special. And he wanted a pair to be absolutely covered in black Swarovski crystals. Yeah, he wore them on the red carpet to the final season premiere of Game of Thrones in New York. How is your anxiety? Do you find that that's kind of got a lot better now or you're a lot more relaxed in, in yourself it's always ups and downs with it so may last year it was a massive down again and i ended up having more um, cbt cognitive behavioral therapy so i had that for about another six to nine months and then that's lifted me back up again so i'm yeah i'm feeling good right now Well, that was Jen Foreman, uh, shoemaker or shoe decorator, uh, talking to Linda and Susie of Women Making Waves. Of course, most of us have been out of the studio, getting on for a year now. Has the way in which you've had to use technology, Zoom and clean feed and so on, has the way in which you talk to people or they react changed rather than being there in person across the desk? I miss meeting people. I miss that five or 10 minutes that you have before you step into the studio. And we try and replicate that, or I certainly try and replicate that by having a bit of a chat with them online beforehand and having a bit of, you know, just talking absolute nonsense and trying to make them laugh and trying to make them relax. That really works, I think, because it's th that sets the scene for the conversation you're going to have. And we always reassure people that we're not there to trip them up. We're not there to, you know, try and make them feel bad or look bad. In fact, quite the contrary, we, we want them to look good. So we always set that scene. But so I think we, we've managed, okay, sometimes the sound isn't as good as maybe we'd like, says the pedant, but... <laughs> You know, I, I so I, I like the studio for, for the really crisp sound. You just yeah. like being in control, Linda, don't you? That's it. I am a bit of a control freak, but I do yes. like the sound to be as, as good as you can get it. And of course, we, we've we've done interviews where it, it's not quite as perfect as maybe it might be. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I absolutely agree with you, Linda. The best thing I, though, love about Zoom and clean feed and being at home is that everyone is available. 
so they don't have to make a journey to the studio you can ring them up and they say what are you doing next tuesday well susie absolutely nothing what would you like i said yes that's great mm-hmm. so i love the immediacy of actually getting a a woman to be able to talk to me straight away it's ka-ching moment in my book yeah that's true actually well we all th- all three of us know each other very well linda and i pre-lockdown used to record a thing called the cambridge concert calendar and for the the 15 or 20 minutes it took about 45 didn't it linda with all the laughs in between <laughs> you two have that chemistry i think that's one of the the key features of women making waves I like to think so. Yeah, uh, we like to make people feel comfortable and feel it's a conversation rather than an interview. And that's the way we, that we always put it. It's a it's a chat. It's a friendly chat. You know, forget. We, yes, we've got some questions that we, we, we want to get through. But at the end of the day, it's just three women having a chat. Mm. Well, two women and a man at this moment <laughs> here on Sunday Supplement. We're going through some of the highlights of Women Making Waves to mark International Women's Day, which is tomorrow. Also happens to be Commonwealth Day, uh, which uh, BBC One is featuring later on this afternoon with the Queen's message to the Commonwealth, rather upstaging Meghan and Oprah later on. (laughs) (laughs) All these women we've got surrounding us. Jill Ashby is the next one you've chosen. Yeah, Jill is, she is an interesting cookie. She really, really is completely exasperated by not finding some particular puzzle books for her mum, who, her late mum, actually, I might say, who had dementia. She decided, this is incredible, I don't know how many people do this, but she's probably the only one, decided to really create her own puzzle books. She decided she was going to call it The Bright Old Sparks, And it's been an amazing creation and it's really been taken by storm, hasn't it? Yeah, I think she developed a product that had a waiting audience, you know. Mm. And and another thing that she mentioned, you know, is in part of the magazine that that she produces once a month, she has conversation starters. What a great idea. How often have all of us sat there at hospital beds or in old people's homes and maybe tried to have conversations with people and it's so difficult knowing what to say and she has openers suggestions you know I think one of the one of the suggestions that she she made was what's the what's the worst cooking disaster you've ever had (laughs) and what a great question because everyone's got them and then that sparks off conversations about meals you've cooked disasters you've had things that you've enjoyed making you know that's a a really good conversation because if someone's sitting in a hospital or in a home they won't really have news as such and sometimes it's very hard to think what can I talk to them about I haven't really done anything exciting this week so these conversation starters what a fantastic idea Mm, it was and I think also the the idea of being able to for younger generation to access this books and to create a conversation with an older generation too I thought that was really really important because there is such a divide when you're trying to look after your your relative your grandmother your grandfather your aunt your uncle who has dementia or Alzheimer's and there's there is no way you you can talk to them but I think what Linda said about conversation starters that was a real fundamental thing that we have all forgotten about. And she, Jill, has done an amazing job with the book. What I began to realise is that she was finding difficulty with them and would ease, go for an easier puzzle book and then an easier puzzle book until we'd actually dropped off the end of the scale. Yeah. And so I looked around for puzzle books 
and couldn't find anything. And so uh, I bought her a, a bumper kiddies puzzle book, as we do, because it had the smaller crosswords in it, it had spot the difference, it had word searches. So there was those things in it which she really enjoyed. I bought that, I took it back to uh, her home and um, as only mothers and daughters can sometimes do, she told me exactly where to get off. It was a kiddies puzzle book and she could yeah. recognise that. It was demeaning. And so I thought, well, hmm, this can't be very difficult. <laughs> I, shall, uh, I shall just put one together. And so I work collaboratively with um, Chris Thomas of Milton Contact and we put the puzzle books together. The other thing that we introduced into the puzzle books along with the theme of the puzzle book was conversation starters. Wow, that's a so really good idea. So there's some conversation starters, like in the food book, uh, conversation starters like, can you remember the best meal out you ever had? Yeah. Because we can all remember those. That's a great one. Can you remember your worst cooking disaster? <laughs> because we can all remember <laughs> <Yes>. those. <laughs> <laughs> But it gets the conversation started. It discovers those long lost memories. They're entertaining. You can share them and you can have a laugh and mm -hmm. a giggle. Jill Ashby there from Women Making Waves with uh, Linda Ness and Susie Thorpe, my guests at the moment here on Sunday Supplement. I mentioned the female and black master of a Cambridge college earlier on, and that, of course, is Sunita Alain, who now runs or heads up Jesus College. I was absolutely terrified. <laughs> I was absolutely, I, you know, I'm not normally nervous when I meet people. For some reason, I was, it had it taken a lot of organising and, you know, she's surrounded by a lot of people. So it was getting through them. Um, someone came with her to the interview, her PA or, or someone who, who was with her. I don't know. I was just quite nervous, I think, doing that interview, but it went really beautifully. You know, I think once we got over the initial few minutes, she, you know, she really relaxed into it. She's a great person. She is so down to earth. You know, she's not your highfalutin kind of, you know, person that you might expect to be a master. She is really down to earth, a bit bit of a laugh. She, you know, she, she you chuckled a few times at things and she kept pulling me up as well. You know, if I asked her a question that, that she didn't or, or thought was a bit of a daft question, she, she'd, you know, she'd, she'd just bat it right back and go, well, well, no, no, I don't, I don't agree with that. You know, and I thought that was great. I really enjoyed having that conversation with her. And by the end, you know, at the end of the interview, we were having we had a really, a really good chat, a really good laugh. She she's very interesting. I think she'll make a very, very good master of the mm. college. I don't think she's going to make come in. She said she wouldn't come in and make radical changes. She wanted to, but she had ideas about the, the college going forward. And going forward in a good, sensible way. So nothing radical, nothing fancy, but just, you know, just take it forward in a way that was suitable for this day and age. I thought she was brilliant. I love that. Sorry, I just want to say I thought it was brilliant that she made you feel scared, Linda. <laughs> I know, it doesn't happen very often, does it? I was, well, I'm scared, but I was, I was, I nervous. was, a bit, I was a bit nervous. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know why. I mean, I wasn't expecting to rip my head off or anything. <laughs> But, you know, she has a presence. 
you know, she does have a presence, but I thought she was fantastic. There was only one person who I was very apprehensive of meeting many decades ago, and that was the late uh, Jonathan Miller, who I thought, well, he's so clever on so many different fronts. He's achieved so much. And I went into his Camden Town home. He sat me on a sofa and we just got chatting. And the same happened to me where I went when he was master at Magdalen with Rowan Williams, who I thought this deep man of thought. And yet inside, and that's what you bring out so much, isn't it, into the programme, we are all very human when it comes down to it. So this is Sunita Elaine, master of Jesus College. You are an inspiration to a lot of people. Can you think of anyone who's inspired you over the years? My mother, definitely. Um, She was a a very practical woman, very smart woman. She would always say to me, oh, use your common sense to figure things out. I think that is quite an entrepreneurial trait to have or to be able to practice and get into the way of thinking that you just need to kind of figure things out and... You know, there's, a, there's barriers to overcome. I was always one of those people who would volunteer to organise the sponsored walk or volunteer to, uh, to look after this little school library. I think that was my first job was looking after the school library about age wow. eight or something. It was a small room with a few books, but I was like, you know, you're a librarian. That was very exciting. Um, have you ever felt intimidated by a situation? I have the feeling you're going to say no. You don't strike no, me as I'm being not gonna, easily intimidated. I'm not going to say no. I, I, that would be lying. I mean, like I said, um, we, we all we all have the same. What, what's lovely is that we we are we are so similar. You know, when you think about it, we sometimes we spend all our time thinking about our differences, and then you don't spend enough time thinking about your similarities. Sunita Elaine, master, recently appointed master of Jesus College here in Cambridge, talking to Linda Ness. Joanna Forbes Lestrange is the one person I asked you to include in this selection because I found her so entertaining. We spoke to her twice, actually, didn't we? That's right, yes. But the one, Tony, that you have picked on was an evening and we were just starting out in our technical moment, technicolor, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I thought we were going to have a, a real problem trying to get the connection, but it worked, didn't it, at the end? I was really worried. There was lots of screeching at the beginning, <laughs> but we got to Joanna. She was, she still is. She's an amazing. I see, I have, I follow her on Instagram actually quite a bit, and she's doing a lot of home recording and she's introducing her sons and her husband as well. And she's done recordings out in the rain, in the garden, in the summer. She's she's just she's got so much drive, and she has the most amazing voice. Yeah, but and she's really bubbly, and l- she's one of these people that you can only call lovely. She's smiley and bubbly, and just you know, I can't imagine. I'm sure her family would laugh at this, but I can't imagine her ever being in a bad mood or cross with anybody. She's just one of these lovely, lovely, lovely people, as as <laughs> Susie loves to say. <laughs> yes, I do. Well, Joanna Forbes Lestrange coming up, Linda Ness and Susie Thorpe. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Tony. 
Joe, on your website, which I have to say looks very, very good and very impressive. Obviously, oh, you're the you. main title. <laughs> well, it is. The main titles on it are singer, composer and choral leader. But yeah. I know there are more hats on your head than that. What <laughs> other things do you do that in between all these lines? What other things that we don't know about? Oh, well, professionally or yeah. otherwise? Well, you can do both. You can do both. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I put composer, but I don't know. I don't really think of myself as a composer in the traditional sense. I, for example, would never want to write anything other than choral music. So I'm a choral composer. I don't want to write purely instrumental music. But I also am different from some composers in that I write a lot of songs. So I'm not just working in the classical music industry, but I'm writing a lot of pop songs, a lot of jazz songs. I wrote a song last year, which has ended up being used on Fleabag. Series mm, tell, Fleabag. Yeah, tell us so, about that, Joe. Well, that was so exciting. It was a song I wrote in collaboration with two songwriters that I've worked with quite a lot called David Tobin and Jeff Megan. And we, we wrote an album together of vintage vocal swing, it's called. And we wrote it for an audio network, um, a company called Audio Network, which supplies music for television and so for every television company they will be looking at tracks that will work well as background music for whatever program it is documentary or drama or whatever so we wrote this album not really knowing where or if these tracks were going to be used and one of the songs that i wrote for it was called you are and it's a lovely kind of 1940s style ballad with three-part female harmony. So very much along the lines of the kind of songs that I write regularly. And blow me if it didn't rock up on the opening scene of series two of Fleabag, which is one of my favourite programmes of all time. <laughs> and it's great. Oh my goodness. And it's so funny. It's the scene where Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character is wiping blood off her face having just had this awful kind of family dinner that's ended up in a punch-up and so in the background it's like you are the one I want to be close like mellow mellow jazz the juxtaposition of her wiping her face off you know and this music is so so funny so yeah I was thrilled to bits 